Hey friends, welcome back to Who, What, Where, a true crime podcast. Uh, this week we got like a very gruesome one. This, um, this is Caitlin talking, by the way. I did the research for this episode and like, they're just like, there was like more and more stuff. Like every time I like clicked to a new page, like it was like, it seemed like a bottomless case, which those are like honestly my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So the Snowtown murders were ones, that's what we're talking about today, guys. Snowtown murders. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. So I, when I, when we first started to be like, oh, we should do a true crime podcast, I was like, okay, cool. We have to think of some things to talk about. And we made like a brainstorm list that honestly, I feel like we've kind of stuck to. We've done a lot of the topics that were on that list. Um, But I popped this on there because I like was looking up like unheard of or kind of unknown or like, weird kind of true crime cases and I think this is one that has um a little bit of like a pop culture situation like maybe there was a movie made after it or something so there was a movie okay um and like I think the reason that this one isn't as popular in the United States is because it takes place in um Australia so that was another thing that I thought was cool was it takes place in a different country and so I added this to the list not even really knowing anything about it so I'm excited to hear about what it's about like what happened. Yeah. So, well, funny story. I, for some reason, like, I think I forgot. It's like the, that situation where you like, you know, details of the case, but you kind of forget like, like what the main premise is or like the name, like I never would have associated what I remember from this case with Snowtown murders or whatever. Like okay, it didn't connect for saying. me, yeah. but, um, or even last, kind of- last week when we were talking about, or the week before when we were talking about Jody Arias, you guys kept saying that too. Yeah. Like, I was like, I, I know I who this is now, this, but-, <laughs> but I think like, I didn't make the connection. I didn't make the like synaptic, like, <laughs> um, but I, this kind of makes me, I think, um, pretty soon I want to do the like the highway like backpacker murderer that was in oh, Australia yeah. too because that's like a pretty cool case as well that kind of just reminded me of it um the thing about Australia is is like they, they have a pretty low like crime rate like in general it seems like and so it's just it's very unique to so have I guess when there is a crime like, like an this, actual serial like, killer oh, yeah yeah well yeah. exactly yeah you want to know what a true crime was that I experienced today? Um, yes. Okay. Um, I went to the gym this morning and I walked into the gym and I thought something was weird right off the bat. And all of the TV screens were playing the same thing. Oh, and weird. I'm just, that's a true crime on the fucking, on the damn, um, Jim's fault like what that was just weird right I mean have you ever seen that happen and I haven't no and it happened it was so I go to the gym for like 45 minutes and the entire 45 minutes it was like that 
So it wasn't like no one noticed and said anything. Like, I'm sure someone noticed. It's like I, they were doing it, it on like, purpose. Or it was like that was the only channel that um, was working or something. I don't know. Wait, so wait, what what, what channel was it? It was like, um, I don't know what channel, but it was like that true crime. It was like a NCIS. Oh, like Discovery or ID or whatever? Oh, oh it was NCIS? No, was it, no, it was the other one. But not Law and Order. Isn't there another one that's kind of like a D-list show? Like I don't Days recognize our lives. I don't, I don't recognize any of the people in it. Anyway, normally, so I'm not a crazy. I'm not a true crime person myself. Like I usually don't watch the TV. I'll just say that too. Yeah. Um, but usually they play Charmed, which that is a true crime. Like that, the fact that that is a real TV show is a true crime. Wait, um, Charmed is that the one with like the like sisters that the are three sisters? It is the that's worst good editing show. I've ever oh, seen in my that's entire fair. life. <laughs> which I guess is like fair because it's probably a little bit older. But normally I like will look up and see that every once in a while. But this one I was just like, what the heck is happening? Anyway. <laughs> That's that's the true crime news that you needed for the episode to start. Um, Proceed. I, like, well, I haven't been watching, or I haven't been listening to a lot of podcasts lately because I've been really into audiobooks, and I just finished listening to The Only Good Indians. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, like, a horror novel, but I listened to the audiobook. It was so good. Like, so good. Um, highly recommend if you're into audiobooks. Oh, another but... true crime. We're reading... This month in our book club, we're reading My Sister, the Serial Killer. Yeah. So that's kind of Which, true crime. Yeah. It's crime. I, I've, I've heard some really good things about it. So it will it should be a cool... I mean, it's like a fiction story, but... Well, I mean, so was The Only Good Indians, but um, it was just like... It was so, like, psychological and, like, like, well thought out. And, like, the story was, like, entirely unique. Like, I couldn't think of another story that was even similar to it. And, like, That's cool. I just thought that was kind That's of cool. Fun. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, let's hop into the case. Um, so, on May 20th, uh, 1999, um, and let's get it out of the way that, like, Hannah saying the F word is not the craziest thing that's going to happen in this episode. There <laughs> is you know torture there is like homophobia to an extreme um there is just like a real creep of a dude um and yeah there's gonna be some really gross stuff in this so just as a warning that if you can't if you can't handle the f-bomb you cannot a lot of this probably isn't gonna be for you yeah um yeah so for i mean the thing is like this i don't know basically like this the subject of our story today is pretty fucked up but he is like a master manipulator so like there are just so many times when he manipulated other people into doing bad shit and i'm not saying that those people that he manipulated aren't partially at fault because they definitely are but like just as a precursor like this was an interesting situation, but, like, at the heart of it was, like, an absolute psychopath of a man, you know? Like, mm-hmm. there's more, there's a lot of people involved. There's gonna be a lot of names. Um, This probably will be a pretty long episode, so, like, hopefully you're having a long car trip or you're at the gym and you need 
somebody to hang out with. We're and glad all that you... of the gym TVs are on the same, <laughs> the same episode of CSI that you've seen at least five times. What do you do? Yeah. What do you do? <laughs> what do you do? You listen to us, and we are so happy to have you guys. <laughs> so. On May 20th, 1999, South Australian police near Adelaide uh, were looking for Elizabeth Hayden, a woman who had been missing over six months at this point. Um, And during this search for her, they found the remains of eight other missing people um, inside of six plastic barrels that were in an abandoned bank vault in Snowtown. So Snowtown is like a couple hundred kilometers, like 150, I think, if I remember correctly, from Adelaide. It's like this little tiny farm town kind of out in the middle of nowhere. So, like, the fact that their trail ended with them, like, coming across these, like, barrels that, like, they had, like, acid in them. The people were trying to dissolve these bodies and, like, that was, like, where the trail ended and it's, like, this abandoned bank. Like, that was, like, it literally, like, rocked Australia's world, you know? So The entire country of Australia, let alone just, like, this tiny town of Snowtown. Yeah, exactly. Um, So John Justin Bunting, um, he's kind of, he's the aforementioned uh, psychopath. (laughs) He was born September 4th, 1966. Um, And there's no way to sugarcoat this other than he was a serial killer, like from birth. I'm convinced. Um, He like killed animals for fun. He was like a huge bully and like master manipulator. Like he bullied people into doing things for him you know um and he claimed to have been molested by a friend's older brother at age eight um and this kind of gave him like a lifelong this is kind of what triggered his like weird like distrust of like anybody he deemed to be a pedophile um and i will mention that he kind of like conflated pedophilia and homosexuality like in his brain they were like both just as evil of like things and like so it well, seems like he didn't distinguish he molested, between them molested by someone of the same sex i assume is why he yeah. thought they were sim- but i mean i'm not agreeing with him obviously yeah for that sure would be kind of the connection he probably made especially if he was if it is true and he was at the young age of eight like you probably really wouldn't know how yeah. to differentiate the two from, and like, i mean this really this... traumatic experience yeah that's true. Yeah, he he basically like didn't really see a difference between mm-hmm. homosexuals and pedophiles. Like to him they were one and the same, right? Which we um, don't agree with by the way if anyone's wondering. Well, yeah. <laughs> we and, do not agree with JJ Bunting. I'm going to call him JJ. Is that okay? Absolutely not. <laughs> oh. Is that too is that too nice? That might That's be too nice. way too nice. That is way too nice and you will come to agree with me as the episode John goes on. J- okay so um there's like this story of him as like a preteen like younger you know um and he would like mix together like random household chemicals that he could find and he would drop (laughs) insects into them to see what happened um apparently he asked his mom at one time like he would constantly ask her like oh what happens to this like if i drop like if I put, like, an animal in this, like, what would happen? Or, like, this, like, random chemical mom, like, what does it do? Like, yeah. Um, Meanwhile, I was af- I'm was i still afraid to, like, clean my bathroom with two different types of cleaner because I'm afraid to mix chemicals and die. So so one time I accidentally, you know, got, like, a head high from doing that. <laughs> see? 
We're normal. JJ Bunting is not. Basically because I I was just a fucking idiot and I put um comet in my toilet and then I used like those like that like gel stuff that you clean the toilet with and they both have bleach in them. So it was just like a lot of bleach. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Too uh, much bleach. Okay. So um basically I want you to get an idea of like how weirdly obsessed john bunting was with the idea of like tracking down pedophiles and homosexuals because it it was like an obsession that like can't really be understated and like it's possible that if he hadn't like kind of gone on this like track of like i have to hunt down all pedophiles and like if he hadn't done that it's possible he may never have killed anybody because like he was on one about pedophiles or not actual pedophiles let me remind you like most of the time it was just people that he like assumed were pedophiles or somebody had like told him were pedophiles like through the rumor mill or whatever okay so 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 far we have somebody that is like taking justice into his own hands yeah yes but See, he like, doesn't you... actually know for who's sure. guilty yeah. and who's not yep. and he believes homosexuals are on the same level as pedophiles correct yes yep you're okay. up to date i'm not all caught up not playing with a full deck it's of australia cards. what year 19 1966. uh like eight eight nine late 90s oh he was born 1966 oh so, late yeah, 90s late okay. 90s Okay, cool. So in John Bunting's home, um, in his home, he had this, like, he called it a rock spider wall. So rock spider apparently is, like, prison slang for a pedophile. So, like, a rock spider is a pedophile. They they use it to, like, distinguish, because, you know, pedophiles don't do so well in prison. Like, Is this an even... Australian thing? Yeah, but yeah. why Because they spider? have weird things about spiders. Wait, wait, hold on. Let me see. If there's a type of spider, go ahead and continue. Okay. Um, and basically, like, on this wall in his house, he had, like, information and names of all these people that he remotely was suspicious of being pedophiles. Like, or he had, like, heard things about, or he, by the end of it, he kind of had started to, like, be like, oh, this person is friends with this person. They must both be pedophiles. You know what I mean? So he often, like later before he started killing he would like call and harass these people regularly like he would just pick a random person call them up and just verbally abuse them over the phone and say that they were going to get what was coming to them because they were a pedophile and like they're a dirty person and you know all all the fun things this was before he escalated to murder he would like just just call and verbally abuse random people um so basically bunting he had kind of like the worst combination of personality traits because like one he was like crazy obsessed with like taking down the wrongdoers of the world right but also he was like apparently super charismatic and like he had this like way with him where he to kind of convince people to do whatever he wanted like he was very like magnetic and like he was good at like making people feel important just long enough Such for them to do something for him, vibes. you know? Such cool. Yes. Like, yeah. well, and that's a very, like, those are very psychopathic traits, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, and like I was saying earlier, Australia has a pretty low crime rate. Like, this is, like, just crime in general. Like, be not even looking at serial killing. So, this, like, tiny little farming town of Snowtown, like, 
I mean, Adelaide is pretty big. So Adelaide is, um, I think it's in the top five biggest cities in South Australia, like population wise, but it's also like called the city of churches. Um, and basically it like is a pretty safe place to live. Um, I mean, it was up until the nineties. I don't know what it's, you know, at this time it was super safe to live in Adelaide. Um, but basically in the like mid nineties, early mid nineties, um, a lot of people started moving to Adelaide. So it wasn't really like this like city anymore. Like it started to kind of spread out and become like lots of suburbs. And a lot of the suburbs had low income housing. And so that kind of attracted people who were into doing criminal activity. This is where we find John Bunting. Shocker. I know. (laughs) So (laughs) at age 22, um, this was around the time that he moved into the suburbs of Adelaide. Um, John Bunting, at age 22, he he worked at a slaughterhouse. Um, and he reportedly, like, would regularly brag about how he got to slaughter animals all day. And that, that was, like, his favorite thing to do. And he really enjoyed killing animals. And, yeah. So Ooh. he... I just, like... You know, there's no reason for somebody to, like, enjoy the work of killing an animal. Like, you can, like, you know, live with it because it's your job. But, like, saying, like, oh, yeah, that's, like, my favorite thing to do ever. Yeah, Um, enjoying it is definitely It's a little – it's kind of a red flag, honestly. Also, I feel the same way about hunting for sport because it's the same (laughs) thing. It's a little weird, right? It's like like getting killing a living being, you know? For fun! I don't know. It's just – and it's just, like, it gives me, like, serial killer vibes, obviously. Oh, for sure. Um, so I'm going to – the way I have this set up, I'm going to kind of do, like, a timeline-wise because people, like, characters in this story, quote-unquote characters, will reappear and, like, kind of go away. And, like, to keep everything straight, I'm going to try to keep, like, a year timeline. I'm going to tell you where what year we're in, what's happening in that year, you know, that kind of thing. So – um, sort of the beginning of the, our, like, part of John Bunting's story starts in 1991, okay? So, John Bunting moves to Waterloo Corner Road in Salisbury North, South Australia. Um, this is one of those suburbs of Adelaide. So, it's, um, more or less, my under like, Salisbury North is part of, um, the city of Salisbury, which is a suburb, suburb of, Adelaide, of Adelaide, if that makes sense. So right, it's kind of um, like when you live in Seattle, but you don't really live in Seattle. You live in one of yeah, the, like Seattle, I was gonna. It, that's the, what I was gonna. Yeah. The comparison <laughs> would be the compare. Well, but it's it, the comparison would almost be like Everett to Seattle because okay. Everett is Smaller. close, kind of. Um, but anyway, he moves to Waterloo Corner Road, and he befriends his neighbors Mark Hayden and Robert Wagner. So Wagner, um, <laughs> Wagner at the time was living with his romantic partner, Barry Lane. So this is, no matter how hard I looked, I couldn't find if, so Barry Lane also sometimes would be like, go by Vanessa, the name Vanessa. Um, oh no. He I'm was openly, them. he was openly homosexual, but I, it doesn't seem like at the time this person identified as transgender. So I'm going to call, I'm going to probably use he, him pronouns because as far as I can tell, 
like it doesn't seem like they identified as transgender they were just like they enjoyed dressing as a woman sometimes but they considered themselves a homosexual man if that makes sense okay um i'm okay with that just to clear it yeah just to kind of make that clear anyway so barry lane um barry lane and robert wagner they were in a relationship and they had um they had begun their relationship in 1985 when Robert Wagner was only 13 years old. Um, yeah. I think Barry Lane at the time was in his late 30s, if I remember correctly. No. So. Oh, no. Yeah. So, okay. like, it was not, I it was not a consensual relationship. Ew, now I don't began. even care if we called them, if we called That's, them by the wrong pronouns. Screw you. No. But here, I, I, I'm going to just say my piece really quick and we're going to move on. I just feel like even criminals, they deserve to be gendered correctly, you know? Anyway, yes. that's why I included Hold that on, piece. But... First of all, I take back saying that I was worried for them. Oh, um, no, no, no. Yeah. He, he don't give a shit about the old man. I can't, now I'm at kind this of, point, he's old. Yeah, now I'm concerned about what's going to happen with well, yeah. just, just You guys are getting ahead of yourself. Calm, 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 calm. Calm. Okay. Take a deep breath. Take it's a like story time. <laughs> But it horror. is like story time. But <laughs> but real life horror. horror. <laughs> right? Um, so, anyway, th- this is when they met. They met in 1991. And Bunting does some crazy shit um, in the next couple years. And he manages to rope in all of his quote-unquote friends and neighbors. And he, he wraps up a lot of people in his, like, killing spree and his vendetta against pedophiles. So... August 31st, 1992, um, John Bunting sets his sights on 22-year-old Clinton Trezise. Um, Trezise had spent most of his childhood in foster homes, and but he kind of, like, as he grew up, he started to dress a lot more flamboyantly. Um, he was pretty openly gay, and he, again, remember, John doesn't like homosexuals because that's the same thing as pedophilia in his brain, you know? So... Well, in this case, it was both. No, this... Wait, what are you talking about? These two men. This is somebody else. I but know. yeah, so Robert Wagner and Barry Lane, it was... It's interesting. There's a lot of hypocrisy. Let's just say that. Going forward. We're going to okay. get to it. But, Great. Um, it. Not really. Basically, Clinton eyes. he um, became friends with John Bunting and Robert Wagner and um basically bunting got like set his sights on him and was like we're he's gonna we're gonna invite him over and so he comes and starts hanging out at robert bunting's or john bunting's house and um he accuses him of being a pedophile like straight up and he while he's sitting on the couch he comes up behind him and like smacks him over the head with a shovel um and then he falls to the floor obviously and he completely obliterates his head right and um there was i saw a piece about how the so he was laying like face down on the floor the front of his skull was also fractured because of the force of it hitting the floor so like the back where he was actually getting hit was fractured but his the front of his skull was fractured too from hitting the floor so hard it's just like falling would not do that you would have to be like have force yeah. supply i just i want to say this because bunting had this like crazy angry vendetta and he it, the torture escalates from here like it gets oh, worse no. um 
Clinton's sister, um, I think it's Cherie, it's, yeah, Cherie, um, attempted to file a missing persons report for him, like, when she realized that he kind of was gone. Um, I, it's, it's my understanding that he was kind of, like, couch surfing, and so she wasn't, but she also was, like, they had a good relationship, and she's, like, this is really weird, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but on the other hand, Clinton's brother Scott was kind of, like, I wonder if he kind of just, like, left town and was decided to kind of do his own thing and get a fresh start. He didn't have, like, a ton of luck with his foster homes when he was a young kid. So I think maybe, like, his brother Scott's like, yeah, we probably shouldn't worry that much about it. It's fine. Um, Either way, no, like, actual missing persons report was filed for several years. Um, And I think... I think, like, we're supposed to kind of understand that the police talked Cherie out of filing one because they were trying to reassure that, like, nothing could have possibly happened to him. Like, he probably is just kind of trying to start his life and, like, mm-hmm. you know, do his own thing. So, yeah. um, Bunting buried him in a shallow grave on some random farmland, um, and he wasn't found until August 16th, 1994. So this is almost two whole years later. Wow. So by this time, um, Bunting was currently married to a woman named Veronica. Veronica has, um, like, a mental disability. Like, she's, like, um, it seems like Bunting probably took advantage of that, right? Uh, So despite being married to Veronica at this time, he, Bunting begins a relationship with Elizabeth Harvey, um, her, she has a son named James Vlasakis, 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 born 12-24-1979, um, who basically, when he meets John Bunting, thinks John Bunting's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, he's an impressionable teenager at this time. He's, like, 14, and he, um, at one point confines and confides in Bunting that his older brother, his older half-brother, Troy Yude, um, who was living in the house with Bunting at the time, had molested him when he was younger. So, Yude base Troy Yude, basically Elizabeth Har- Harvey had been around the block, right? She has, like, she has three sons and they all have different dads. Right. Um, Troy Yude basically was abused by Vlasakis' birth father, who was, like, his stepfather. And okay. then Troy Yude went on to abuse James Vlasakis. Um, that's such an awkward name to say. Vlasakis. Vlasakis. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting name. Yeah. Anyway. Is it a V or a B? V. Uh, v. Sorry. Vlasakis. Vlasakis. Okay. That's what like I'm saying. It's so hard to. Oh. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Cut that out. Cut that out. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So uh, James and Troy and their mom, Elizabeth, start living with John Bunting because Elizabeth and John are in a relationship. Um. Marcus Johnson, who is Elizabeth's ex-husband and the stepfather of both of her sons, um, talks about in this documentary I was watching about how when he first met Bunting, like, all Bunting wanted to talk about was, like, his vendetta against pedophiles. Like, that was the only thing that he ever brought up in a conversation. And in the, like, in the interview that I watched, like, he's like, yeah, like, that's, he never, he didn't want to talk about anything other than that. Like, he didn't have anything interesting to say other than, hey, like, 
I'm gonna kill. Pedophiles. I'm gonna kill. I'm gonna kill all the pedophiles. And you know, so that weird kind of that he was able to maintain any sort of relationship with anybody. If that's the truth, like if that's really all he talked yeah. about. Yeah. Um. It seems like he he had to have been like pretty charming. Is like my only guess. Um. He had to have been like charming and like, cause he like obviously was really good with the ladies, as you'll see. Or, like, ladies were really, like, drawn to him. So, in 1997, um, just to kind of wrap up what we know about Clinton Trezai's, um, his unsolved case in 1997 was featured in a couple episodes of Australia's Most Wanted. Um, Bunting was watching these episodes with his stepson, Vlasakis, James, um, and at one point boasted to James about it being, quote, his handiwork. So... He doesn't seem at all worried about getting caught for anything. Like, he is extremely bold and he is extremely, like, what's the word? Um, he kind of thinks he's untouchable. Like, he does all these things, like, with absolutely no worry of getting caught at all, basically. And he was bragging to his stepson, who was 14 at the time, um, about how he had murdered this guy and that's um because they had found the body they basically um they had finally filed a missing persons report about clinton and so they um were featuring him on a show and uh bunting was like yeah that was me um he also i guess revealed at this point that uh barry lane and robert wagner had helped bury clinton shirzai's body so um at this point, Robert Wagner has, at the very least, him and Barry Lane both, had helped John Bunting bury a body. They technically, at this point, are only guilty of aiding him to bury it. But, obviously, John Bunting is very manipulative because he gets them to do a lot crazier shit as the time goes on. So... December 1995, so it's been a couple years since Clinton died, and obviously John Bunting didn't scratch his weird pedophile execution itch, so he sets his sights on Ray Davies, who is a 26 intellectually disabled man who lives in a caravan on the property of Suzanne Allen in um, Salisbury North, the suburb. So yeah, like caravan being like like a trailer, like a trailer that you have in like a trailer park. So Ray Davies and Suzanne Allen um, had previously been in some kind of a relationship, but um, Allen at some point started like openly accusing him of molesting your grandchildren, which I mean is a pretty lofty claim. And I think it's important to note that we can't necessarily know if this was true or not. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Suzanne started saying this story to John Bunting and we know how much John Bunting hates the idea of pedophiles, even if they're not actually a pedophile. So um, John Bunting abducts the man and he throws him into the trunk of his car. Um, Robert Wagner, basically John Bunting forces Robert Wagner, quote unquote forces, right? He isn't, he's kind of egging him on. Um, but Robert Wagner strangles Ray Davies to death, um, and they, they, they torture him, um, they actually, Robert Bunt, or not Robert Bunting, sorry, 
John Bunting convinces Suzanne Allen to participate in the torture of um, Ray Davies. So they've got him. Um, I just lost my train of thought. Anyway. Uh, yeah, he convinces her to help them torture Ray Davies because obviously that's what he deserves because John Bunting thinks that he's a pedophile. Um, at one point, Suzanne, I guess, like, stabbed Ray Davies in the leg several times. Um, I mean, this is, like, not the craziest thing they did to him, but, um, they buried Ray Davies in John Bunting's backyard and it wasn't found until the end of all this, right? So it was it was hidden in his backyard underground for several years. John Bunting and Robert Wagner, um, they clear out Ray Davies's caravan, um, and they like repaint it and clean it all up and they move it to Elizabeth, which is like a nearby town, and they sell it. So basically any evidence that was there disappears, right? Um, nobody even knows that Ray Davies is missing, which is really sad. <laughs> like, nobody misses him, basically. Bunting continues to claim his social security checks, and is, he just kind of vanishes into thin air. Nobody realizes that anything weird is happening at this point. I just want to reinforce that. Um, at this point, Suzanne Allen becomes, like, completely obsessed with John Bunting. Um... And is basically, like, constantly making sexual advances towards him. And he, I guess a couple times he, I think they did sleep together. But overall, he is getting, like, these love letters from her. And we have some of them. Like, um, I should have put an excerpt in here. But she is, like, you know, confessing her love for him. And, you know, she thinks he's the bee's knees for whatever reason. Um even though she just watched him torture this guy that she accused of being a pedophile. So November of 1996, Suzanne Allen disappears. Um, her family goes to her home and they find it completely trashed. But like more so than that, her all of her pets are still there, um, which is really weird to them because Suzanne Allen like loved her pets and like that was like not like her to just leave all of them behind. Um this, this is tricky because Bunting and Wagner, they probably murdered her, right? Um, but there is, there's not really any evidence of it. So, like, she um, isn't found until May 1999 when they find, find all of this out, basically. Um, she, Bunting got tried for it, but nobody could, the jury couldn't agree that he did it. So... He's never, he was never convicted of it, but, um, I think at one point Bunting and Wagner basically were like, oh, she died of a heart attack and we just, um, like got rid of her body so that we could keep collecting her social security checks. Um, around the same time in 1996, Bunting, um, so around the same time that Suzanne Al Allen goes missing, Bunting... Elizabeth Harvey, James Vlasakis, and Troy Yude, they all move um, to Murray Bridge, which is about 100 kilometers from where they're currently living in Salisbury North. He, it doesn't seem like he necessarily had, like, a motivation for this, but, so they now live way further away. Um, so August 1997, Michael Gardner, who is 19, um, this is another case of 
I saw them listed as Michelle in some places. Um, so it's possible this person is a transgender woman. Um, I'm going to refer to them as Gardner, so it won't be an issue. But um, Gardner was like openly gay and was living near Robert Wagner in northern Adelaide in the suburb of Salisbury North. So Robert Wagner like hated Gardner because Gardner was like super openly gay and which is it's just this is like so weird because Robert Wagner is gay he is gay like he was in a relationship with a man um whether or not that was a consensual relationship remains to be seen because you know the whole they got together when he was like 13 but the hypocrisy is strong right um Gardner was strangled to death by um John Bunting and he was put into the same drum as another victim and this drum was obviously later found in the bank vault um one of Gardner's feet had been cut off in order to close the lid so he was dismembered but they also like at the end like his leg was sticking out so they had to cut it off so it would fit in there with another body <laughs> um and then meanwhile so gross yeah not great um Meanwhile, John Bunting and Robert Wagner staged it to look like Gardner had run off with um, some of the landlady's stuff. So he has this landlady, landlady named Nicole, right? And Nicole and Gardner were, they were close. And like in the documentaries that I've seen, Nicole talks really fondly of Gardner. Like it seemed like they were friends. Um, she like mentions one time that Gardner, like she would help paint Gardner's nails, right? Um, Nicole's friend Vicky, weirdly enough, is currently having an affair with Robert Wagner. Um, they also convinced Frederick Brooks, who, remember that name, he comes up later, they also convinced Frederick Brooks to call Nicole at one point and demand Gardner's wallet. Um, they, like, are pretending to be Gardner's friends. They want it so that they can get into his bank account, right? But, um... They, like, call um, Nicole, like, being like, oh, yeah, we're his friends. Like, he, we're running off together, so we need his wallet so that he can have his ID or whatever. They just want to get his money, right? And it sucks because Michael Gardner, Michelle Gardner, whatever, um, other than Nicole, Nicole, the landlady, like, he also doesn't have anybody to really miss him. Like, for all Nicole knows, like, he, Gardner actually did run off and, like, start a new life or whatever. So this is another, this is another victim who nobody really knows is missing. Like, nobody has connected any of this. Nobody realizes there's a serial killer on the loose. Um, it's basically just another person that has, like, disappeared into thin air. Um, and it's kind of sad because, like, nobody, these are no people on, on nobody's radar. And John Bunting knows that. And he continually targets people that he can get, he can cash their social security checks. Um, he does that time and time again. Like, uh, there's a number in here somewhere of, like, how much social security fraud he ended up doing because he would kill people and then pretend to be them to get their money. So, October 1997, this is, like, very shortly after um, Michael Gardner gets murdered, timeline-wise, um... Barry Lane, a.k.a. Vanessa Lane, Wagner's ex-lover, is 42. And he, um, he begins a relationship with 18-year-old Thomas Trevilian. Thomas Trevilian will come back up, so 
Remember that name, Trevelyan? It's they all have terrible names for pronouncing, but Barry. Um, just to clarify, Barry was the older one in the relationship, correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah, he is the um, Wagner's ex-lover. Barry Lane starts a relationship with Thomas Trevelyan, who is like eighteen, so he's pretty young. And I think this is like this reconfirms for John Bunting, like, oh, he's. Which, I mean, there's some truth to it. He does kind of seem like a creep. Um, This is one of the only people that I'm like, yeah, he kind of seems like a creep. Did he deserve to die? Probably not. But he is seems like he targets young men who don't really understand their sexuality, maybe. Um, Anyway, in Bunting's mind, Lane is basically at the middle of his spider wall. Like, he is like this ring of pedophiles that he has concocted in his head as existing... Barry Lane is, like, in the middle because he's connected to everybody, right? Like, and Barry Lane also, I guess, at this point had been talking about how he helped Barry Clinton Trezise, who nobody's supposed to know was murdered, but, like, Lane is kind of bragging about it. Like, he's telling everybody who freaking knows about it. And um, so John Bunting convinces Thomas Trevelyan, um, who is an extremely emotionally and psychologically disturbed man, right? He apparently had this, like, weird obsession with wearing military clothes. Like, that's all he would wear was, like, you know, like... That's, like, total school Like, camouflage. And, like, he was really into, like, tactical gear and, like, knives. And he was emotionally disturbed. And John Bunting likes to prey on those people. And he convinces Thomas Trevelyan to help murder Barry Lane. Um, after they torture Barry Lane, John Bunting, um, this is when he starts, like, forcing people to, like, help him cover up his tracks. So, he forces Barry Lane to call his mom, um, and say, you know, I'm running away to Queensland. I never want to talk to you again. So, um, so that, like, nobody kind of comes looking for Barry Lane, right? So, Thomas Trevelyan after helping murder well it seems like um, at this point he's starting to be like paranoid like he's in the paranoid phase of his killing. well it's so weird because it almost it almost doesn't seem like that it almost just seems like he is starting to be like okay this person in particular somebody might be looking for them so we should probably cover up our tracks a little or, bit yeah i guess like he was less he was less he had killed all, all the people that he wanted to kill that were, like, unknown and no one would care. That were, like, so now yeah, he was like, that, well, like, people are going to care, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Thomas Trevelyan, after he helps Robert Wagner, um, one bunting as well, murder Barry Lane, he moves in with Robert Wagner. Robert Wagner and Robert's girlfriend, Vicky. Do you remember Vicky? No. How do we know Vicky? I know you guys know. Vicky is the friend. Yeah, Vicky is Nicole's friend. Nicole yeah. was Michael Gardner's landlady. Um, and she's dating Robert? Yes. Yep, they're in a relationship. Wow, um, I'm good at this. So, and it, things come pretty full circle, too. It, it's just so weird because, like, there's a lot of names. This is a very confusing case. Um, I'm I'm trying to, like, each time be like, hey, we remember this person. They were in the story <laughs> earlier like you know what i mean okay 
Um, so Thomas Trevelyan seems to be very conscious of the fact that he witnessed Barry Wag or not Barry Barry Lane's murder. Like he kind of starts to be sort of paranoid that because he was a witness to this huge crime, even though he was like sort of involved in it, he's starting to worry that Bunting and Wagner are going to be like, well, we don't want you to tell on us. So we're going to. And sure enough, November 5th, 1997, uh, Robert Wagner and John Bunting take Trevelyan out into the woods and stage his suicide. So they have him stand on a box in the middle of the woods and they tie a noose around his neck hang it from a tree, and they kick the box out from underneath him. And much to all of our dismay, it works. The police think that he, like, went out into the woods to kill himself, um, which is so bizarre because, like, why would you go into the middle of the woods to do that? Like, that seems... But, like, the police, they... This was, like, a kid who was had kind of a record of being pretty emotionally disturbed, so they really had no other, like... They had no reason to not believe it was suicide, you know? So, um, April 1998, so, like, six months later, James Lasakis, um, this is the young boy who moved in with John Bunting, um, with, when his mother started seeing him. Uh, he, at this point, is addicted to heroin, and he is on a methadone maintenance program, and he invites another drug addict, um, Gavin Porter, who is 31, to live in Bunting's home with him. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know why he thought he was entitled to invite him to live with him, but anyway. Um, John Bunting kind of, because he feels like affection towards James, kind of like overlooks the fact that he uses drugs like a lot. And in this exact same vein, he also is like, you know, Gavin Porter is a useless druggie and he deserves to die, like, in the same vein of, like, pedophiles and homosexuals deserve, deserve to die, right? So, Gavin Porter is schizophrenic and so, because of this, he's receiving, like, social security money from the state. Um, John Bunting likes targeting people with social, social, the government money, you know? Um, he basically, after... John Bunting goes to sit on his couch one day and there's a needle on the couch that he like he he sits on it and pokes himself and this is like the last straw right so he decides that Gavin Porter's got to go um and while James Vlasakis is gone one day uh John Bunting and Robert Wagner strangle beat and torture um Porter who at this point was like sleeping in his car um, in, like, the driveway of John Bunting's house, um, and they stuff his body in the garage. They just kind of, like, lay it on the floor in the garage. So, this is a pretty pivotal moment because this brings it from, like, two criminals to, like, three criminals, which is, like, truly a ring, you know? Like, two is, like, it's, like, they're just, they're buddies, right? But, like, three, this is when he kind of starts bringing a lot of people in on his bullshit, you know? So, um, when James comes home, um, John Bunting shows him Gavin Porter's murdered body on the floor of the garage. And he also shows him the bodies of Barry Lane and Michael Gardner, who are in a drum at this point in John Bunting's garage. Um, they're dismembered in, so to fit in the barrels, obviously. So James is like, okay, what the fuck? 
um, you're psychotic and you're like a crazy murderer. And it seems like at this point, at first, he was probably acting in self-preservation. So he agrees to help get, um, continue to retrieve Gavin Porter's social security money. Like he agrees to help with that to kind of impersonate Gavin Porter. Um, and this is when they put Gavin Porter's body into a barrel because his body is found later in the bank vault. Um, so August 1998, uh, John Bunting convinces James that it's time to kill his older brother, Troy, who is about, he's 21 at this point. Um, and remember, James claims that, claims that Troy had molested him as a child. So Bunting is like, it's time for us to kill him, obviously. So they, there's actually like a tape recording of him, um, like saying like, oh, I'm just running off to do whatever. Like they, they record an explanation so they can play it for people later. Um, they put Troy Ude into a barrel after they murder him and dismember him. So, so at this point, the cops, like, they still don't know what's going on. They have no, like, way to, they have no reason to believe any of this is connected. And half these people they don't even know are missing. So all they know at this point is that Clinton Trezise was murdered. Or no, that he is missing. But they, um, because they don't have his body yet. They don't find his body until 19, oh, 94, sorry. But they don't, but they Um, still don't know that. They, they haven't been able to find the common denominator, which is uh, JJ, but yeah, they haven't been um, able to figure that out. No, yeah, I went back and looked, 94. So in 94, they found Clinton Trezise's body, but because they like, they buried it on some random person's farm. So like, obviously the person that owned the farm found it. Um, but like, finding one random body buried, like, it doesn't mean there's like a serial killer, you know? And- they're, they have, like, a couple missing people, and they also have some suspected social security fraud. Like, they don't really have any evidence for it, but it seems like they have, like, an inkling. So, in comes yet another character in this story. There's a lot of names. This whole story gets kind of crazy, but um, Mark Hayden um, kind of, like, starts to be more involved in everything, right? So, Bunton... Bunting starts to like really hate Mark Hayden's partner Elizabeth. Um, probably for no reason. I think he just basically has it out for her for some reason. Um, but he doesn't immediately kill Elizabeth. He looks instead to her nephew, her nephew Frederick Brooks. Wait, which one is Mark? Is Mark? Have we heard about Mark yet, or is this kind no, of no? Mark. Mark is fairly new to the story. Okay. Um, it's believed he helped dispose of a couple bodies and or knew about a couple of the bodies, but he hasn't really done anything yet. Okay. So, so he's just like a friend, but yeah. not a friend that's in this weird murder ring. <laughs> I mean, like, he knows about all this shit. He hasn't actually tortured or killed anybody, but he knows about all of this at this point. And yeah, so Mark Hayden, his wife, Elizabeth, um, Bunting kind of hates her for whatever reason. But Bunting instead is like, I'm going to look at Elizabeth's nephew, Frederick Brooks, who is 18. And do you guys remember how we know Frederick? He made the phone call to um, the landlady about Michael Gardner. Yes. 
So oh. he honestly, he's just like an easy target. Um, I think at this point they were kind of picking people for no reason because it's not like John Bunting thought he was a pedophile or a homosexual. He just he was like there and John Bunting was fucking crazy. Yeah, so he was the easiest person to kill at this point. John kind Bunting of, is like going off from his original like vendetta against pedophiles slash homosexuals to just like i love murdering people he goes back yeah like of murdering animals for no reason yeah exactly so um in september 17th 1998 uh john bunting robert wagner and james lasakis get together to kill 18 year old frederick they torture him for hours um they like put him in the bathtub and take all his clothes off and this is this is like super graphic so i I just want to put that out there um the torture is terrible um they record his voice they do like the recording like as they've been doing to kind of set his family off the trail um and then they they stick lit cigarettes inside of his nose and ears um the cigarette lighter that was also used to burn a smiley face onto his forehead and burn his nipples um at one point, there was this machine. I, it has a name, but I can't remember the name of it. Um, it's used for nickel plating, but they use it to burn and electrocute Frederick's um, genitals. So bunting at one point, this is kind of, I think, the reason that this case is like one of the most horrendous that I've ever seen, right? The the ways that they torture Frederick is by by and above like one of the craziest like serial killing torture things i've ever seen um they john bunting sticks a sparkler like the firework um into frederick's um penis and he lights the end of it and watches it burn like who i just need to like reinforce how like demented and sadistic like not only John Bunting, but, like, Robert Wagner and James Vlasakis, they were, like, there watching this. And obviously it amused them enough because this ha- they did this to him twice. They did this with two sparklers. Okay, and so I have to bring... I feel I like just, this is a good time to bring this up. But you yeah. guys know about the theory that, like, the most, like, anti-homophobic... Or the most homophobic people in the world are, like, usually end up being homosexuals themselves yeah sure have you heard of that okay so that's totally like i he seems like he's obsessed in this in this specific killing with the genitalia of a young boy which makes me think that he might he might have like been so homophobic and so anti-pedophiles and and homosexuals one and the same apparently to him that he like wanted to kill other people because he hated himself so much yeah i don't know i that's just what i thought of in this specific one there wasn't it doesn't seem like that was the case in any of the other murders but like he seems hyper focused on um this kid's genitalia which is disgusting but yeah i mean disgusting torture like i've just i mean like i haven't seen much worse honestly in a true crime case yeah um they the thing that seems like it finally killed frederick was they used a syringe to like inject water into frederick's testicles 
Um, and this seems like this is what finally, like, killed him. Um, so Mark Hayden basically collects Frederick's body and, um, he, like, drives it. It's unclear, like, where it was stored between the time that it was between, like, the time that Frederick died and when all the drums were found at the bank. But it ends up in one of the drums at the bank. And um, there's security camera footage of Mark Hayden um, accessing Brooks' security, social security payments. So this is, you know, like, the fourth person now that they're using their death as, like, an excuse to collect social security payments. And the thing is, is, like, I think some people are like, oh, that had to have been their motive. But it, like, clearly wasn't their motive, you know? Like, it was more of a, like... Oh, it just just so happens. It's a bonus. Exactly. Like, it just so happens. Like, oh, we have all this person's information. Let's use it. Um, And the next uh, target of the serial killings is this one seems like they purposely picked this guy because he was going to be easy. He was going to be an easy target. Kind of like Frederick Brooks, honestly. So, in October of 1998, uh, Bunting and Vlasakis, they... Um, see this guy, Gary O'Dwyer, who's 29, and they see him kind of, like, limping through the neighborhood because he is pretty badly, like, physically disabled because of a car crash. And so he gets, you guessed it, lots of government money for that. Um, And basically he is disabled, and so they seem to think, oh, like, he won't fight back that much, right? So... Vlasakis kind of, like, becomes friends with Gary to, like, take him, you know, like, to catch him off guard. He's going to just pretend to be his friend. And um, one day while he's in their home, Bunting attacks him. And they use that um, nickel plating machine that I talked about before. They use that to torture um, Gary O'Dwyer. And uh, they finally get his, like, bank information from him, which makes it even easier for them to steal his money. Um, they also, they have him do the same thing and record a message for his family to, like, set his family off the trail, right? So, um, Gary O'Dwyer was strangled to death in, um, his own home, and they dismembered him and put him into a barrel, and he was eventually, obviously, found, um, in the bank vault. Um, like, so, like, a month later, November 1998, John Bunting decides that it's time to kill Elizabeth Hayden. Um, apparently, like, his reasoning, like, during trial was, like, oh, like, she didn't want to have sex with me because she was married to his friend, Mark. Um, <laughs> sorry, some of this is, like, so extra, man. Like, ugh. Anyway. So, Elizabeth Hayden, she has a sister, Jody Elliott. Um, and... Jody Elliott briefly was in a relationship with John Bunting. Remember how I said, like, John Bunting, like, he has all the girls on his dick for some reason. Like, so he has to be charismatic on some level, I guess. But, um, yeah, anyway, so her sister Jody lives on the property, lives on Elizabeth and Mark's property. Like, she lives in this house that's, like, kind of behind Elizabeth and Mark's house. Um, Jody also had previously... I didn't mention it, but she kind of has been involved in some of this as well because she helped impersonate um, Suzanne Allen. And by doing this, they uh, were able to collect like $17,000 of Social Security payments from like in Suzanne Allen's name. Right. 
Um, Jody, this is like inconsequential, but Jody was also Frederick Brooks's um, mom, obviously, because Frederick Brooks was Elizabeth's nephew. Um, they all these I don't know. There's just so many names that like. Sometimes I'm, like, trying not to confuse you guys with the name, but then I'm also like, oh, just so you know, this person's connected. <laughs> I feel like this um, is quite the entanglement. Yeah. But, yeah, anyway, Elizabeth um, was murdered by John Bunting and Robert Wagner on November 20th. Um, her brother, who I guess she was pretty close with, reported her missing, like, the very next day. So Mark Hayden appears to not really had any involvement, obviously, because it was his wife, but it's almost certain that he helped cover up the murder, like, i.e., um, get rid of the body. So, Elizabeth Hayden, if you guys remember from earlier, she is the reason that the police started looking because her brother was like, hey, something's weird. Like, nobody, um, like, she wouldn't go anywhere. Like, this is weird. So, um, John Bunting at some point started renting out an abandoned bank vault in Snowtown, which is like this really little town. And um, it's it seems like it's unclear when they transferred all the barrels into the bank vault. Um, they were they were found there in 1999, but it doesn't it's like kind of unclear how long they were just like hanging out in John Bunting's garage, um, which is even crazier, like just like in this neighborhood, like. I don't know. Plus, it's so weird because um, uh, Elizabeth Harvey, who James James's mom, who is in a relationship with John Bunting, she it seems like she like literally had no idea, which seems crazy to me. Um, she was never able to testify. She died of cancer like right before the trial started, if I remember. Um, but. I think she genuinely didn't know what was going on, which is insane. Um, but, like, in her defense, neither did the fucking cops. The cops were, like, had no idea that they had killed, like, six people. Right. So, um, May 9th, 1999, David Johnson. Um, this is James Vlasakis's stepbrother. So, if you remember earlier, Marcus, who was talking about how, like, when he met John, all he wanted to talk about was pedophiles. This is his son. Um, and this was, uh, Elizabeth Harvey's last husband before she met Bunting. And David Johnson, um, he, for whatever reason, Bunting, like, did not like him. And Bunting was constantly, like, referring him to, referring to him as the F word, a faggot. And, um, kind of just, like, had it out for him for whatever reason. Uh, it's unclear why he, like, favored James. Like, I wonder if it's because James had this, like, whole sob story about his brothers abusing him. But, um, James took David Johnson to Snowtown at one point to look at a computer that he had told him was for sale at one point. And he was like, yeah, let's go check it out. So, um, they arrive at the bank, the bank that has been, they've been renting to store the dead bodies, and um, Bunting and Wagner attack him. So they handcuff him and force him to read a script. Um, and uh, like they had done with the other people to like kind of throw everybody off the trail. Which is probably in this case it makes sense because his dad probably would have looked for him. 
seems like his dad wasn't like that weird. Um, they also forced him to give them his bank account pin number. And uh, Robert Wagner and James Vlasakis left uh, David Johnson at the abandoned bank in Snowtown with John Bunting and Mark Hayden. So Wagner and Vlasakis, they go to Port Wakefield to try to get into David Johnson's bank account and get some money out. Um, they end up being unsuccessful, and so they come back. And by the time they got back, David Johnson had died. He had been tortured to death, and um, he was no longer alive by the time they got back. So um, Bunting and uh, Mark Hayden had killed David Johnson while they were gone. So Bunting, this is where it gets like, I mean, if it could even get more weird, but um, Bunting and Wagner, they they f- fried up part of David Johnson and consumed him. So cannibalized oh. him. Cannibalism um, was like, they really didn't need to add that. Right. You know? Honestly, this note. story has everything. While we were just talking, or while, while we've been talking about this, I've been looking up pictures of the people so I can like save them for the posts that we'll do oh, on yeah, Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what are your thoughts? I'm curious. Um, well, first of all, uh, freaking Mark Hayden looks like he would murder everybody he's ever met. He's freaky looking. He kind of gives um, me cult leader vibes. Yeah, John Justin Bunting, though, doesn't look like he's that evil. He's um, very unassuming. He does. And so that makes that kind of, I understand now what you're saying about how, like, he must have been super charismatic because people trusted him. And honestly, it's because he doesn't look like a serial killer. Mark Hayden, right. on the other hand, I want to mess around with. Um, <laughs> Robert Joe Wagner looks like the type of guy that would, like, beat you up at a bar, kind of. I'm needless to say I'm shocked by the appearances, I guess. I'm not really. They all look like I'm shocked about everyone's except for Mark because Mark so, looks like he'd kill you. Like, the weird kind of thing Mark is the, scary. I think, I think the weird thing is is like John Bunting almost looks like he could be like a professor at yes, a university. He looks like he looks so he looks so he's like dorky and like and I think it made him like approachable. Also, you know? though, Mr. Sweater Vest, he looks like a little kid. He's very So young. James is young. He's, I think he, uh, by the time the trial started, he was only, like, 19. Fast forward, um, there are now eight people inside this bank vault. Uh, May 20th, 1999. This is when the police finally catch wind of this, like, bank vault. Um, the police follow, there's apparently this lead of somebody saw like a land cruiser. I can't remember which one of them drives a land cruiser, but like driving through town with these huge barrels in the back of it. And this, this lead takes them to the bank. Um, as soon as they enter the bank, they immediately smell rotting bodies. Um, so other people at the bank weren't noticing this? It's an abandoned bank. It's okay. like just a building. Sorry, I keep referring it to as an like a bank. It's it's, it's an, an abandoned, abandoned building. Bank. Okay, you were saying yeah. bank vault, and I was like, how are they getting barrels well, into this bank vault? And the bank workers are just like, okay, <laughs> they're just going along with it. it doesn't don't you know, know that here? banks just don't ask questions? They're just like, yeah, it's like a it's an old bank. Banks ask a lot of questions. 
Um, so yeah, inside the bank vault, there's eight bodies. So there are six barrels and eight bodies. Um, I know Barry Lane and Michael Gardner were in the same barrel together. I can't remember how the other combinations were, but, um, they, uh, the bodies are brought to Adelaide to kind of start because they have no idea. Like you kind of have to take a step back and realize that like the cops have no idea who any of these people are. And they kind of, they need to, like, reassemble them and or figure out what parts belong to whose body, who is even in here. Um, Luckily, John Bunting was stupid. Um, And he stored the bodies in hydrochloric acid, which apparently is the wrong kind of acid. Uh, It it ended up kind of, like, preserving the bodies uh, instead of... Instead of dissolving them, I know. Um, I hate to. Laugh, if there's but, like, a laughing moment in all of this, that's this. it. You have like, permission yeah, to laugh. Fuck you, John. You are. I, an I'm idiot. giving you permission to that's laugh. That's karma right there. You I know. I do all this. You that is like serial killer. 101 is they do all this stuff and they think they're hot shit and then boom they like messed up they couldn't even freaking kill people right because they're such pieces of shit and they deserve to rot in hell. Yeah. Bye, JJ. You- yeah i mean hold on how did you okay so basically did the opposite of what he wanted it's like when people dump bodies in water is it water that kind of preserves them well yeah water like it doesn't preserve it keeps them, them cold it, well it slows down the decomp the decomp because yeah okay i'm on the same page this is fucking <laughs> um, if it's not wild already so and i i have to it's gonna well i mean it's it's wild um they they find lots of other incriminating stuff in the bank vault because it kind of seems like somewhere somewhere along the line they decided to just store all of the murder stuff in the bank vault oh so it's like they're kind of suspecting that like nobody would ever i guess they were suspecting nobody would ever look there um but inside the bank vault it's got just like a real quick list knives obviously um, a bloodstained saw. Can you guess what they were using that for? <laughs> don't even guess. Don't even tell cutting me. Don't, don't tell feet. me. Um, cutting well and like dismembering the body so they fit in the barrel. It's not funny. It's not. But it's not funny at all. But I get it's you. It's so funny <laughs> that it makes me uncomfortable, or it's so not funny that it makes me uncomfortable, which makes me laugh. And I'm just like, <laughs> I- I'm laughing because I'm uncomfortable. I am being um, serious. <laughs> There, there's a double barrel shotgun. There's lots of rope, uh, rolls of duct tape, um, rubber gloves, uh, cloths like rags. Um, and oh, I here's the name of it. It's a variac metallurgy tool. That's like the thing that they use that the metal plating thing was. Vital- variac. I don't know what any of those words mean. It's used to like engrave stuff on metal. If I'm understanding correctly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, like, they used it. They, like, attached, like, jumper cable looking things to it to shock people. And to, like, electrically shock people's, like, genitals. Are any of them into metallurgy? If if I remember correctly, the machine belonged to James. Um, Young one? Yeah. Sweater vest? Okay. Hmm. So somewhere in the midst that. of doing heroin, he took up metallurgy. metallurgy. You know, as you do. <laughs> what else are you supposed to do in Australia? I don't know. 
I'm kidding. Obviously, literally Fuck anything else. I don't like, know. <laughs> eat shrimp on the Barbie, go swimming in the ocean and get attacked by all the animals they have there. Die by spider by... I'm kidding. This is like Australia stereotypes. No. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Australians. Sorry, Australian. sorry my Aussies. Mon fallait. Oh, God. Ew, no I'm stop. so... I mean, no! Clear. Okay, guys, I know we're getting slap happy, but we're almost done. No, I promise. Slap happy. Okay, well, I don't even know what that means. So continue. It means so you start slapping people. Um, so the (laughs) oh my gosh, so the trial of John Bunting and Robert Wagner um ended up lasting almost twelve months. This is the longest in the history of South Australia ever. Um. In December of 2003, John Bunting was finally convicted of committing 11 murders, and Robert Wagner was convicted of 10 murders. Um, He actually only confessed to three. Both of them, pretty early on in the trial, were, like, maintaining their innocence. Um, It seems like Robert Wagner caved first, uh, but Bunting, like, I don't know that he ever pled guilty. Um, James Lasakis, however, he pled guilty to four of the murders. Um... In 2004, Mark Hayden was convicted on five counts of assisting with murder. Um, He only admitted to two. The jury did not come to a decision on the two murder charges against Mark Hayden. And um, Wendy Abraham, who was the senior prosecutor, said that she would retry him for them. Um, Basically, there was like a mistrial. Uh, the final count against Bunting and Ragnar for murdering Susie and Allen was dropped uh, May 7th, 2007, and that was a mistrial. The jury couldn't, like, couldn't decide if he had done it or not, or if they had done it or not. Um, so Justice Brian Ross Martin determined that um, John Bunting was the ringleader, and so that's kind of, like, the I the, that's the picture, the snapshot we have of this is, like, he kind of was, like, talking all these other guys into doing it. And so for this, he sentenced John Bunting to 11 consecutive terms of life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. Uh, Robert Wagner was sentenced to 10 consecutive terms, also not eligible for parole. Um, Robert Wagner said, like, as his, like, because they let let you talk after they read you your sentence. He said, quote, Pedophiles were doing terrible things to children. The authorities didn't do anything about it. I decided to take action. I took that action. Thank you. And then drop the mic. Um, So, but like, it just goes to show you, like, these guys literally thought they were doing God's work. So they killed how many people? Total of eight? Um, so Bunting killed ten. Okay, so they were killed a lot of people, and I'm pretty sure only, like, two of them were even potentially pedophiles right yeah yeah the rest they were they were either like gay like homosexuals or they just didn't like them like clearly i feel sort of bad for wagner because he was clearly being like severely lied to obviously he was so and even in his final moments as a free man he's like yeah i did what i was right which is just so it seems so culty to me Oh, it's so culty. Yeah. 10 out of 10 cult. <laughs> um, it's so culty. And, like, let's be clear, Robert Wagner also had concocted this, like, weird... He had kind of bought into the whole pedophile... Pedophiles are everywhere thing, you know? 
So James Lasakis was sentenced to four consecutive life sentences. Um, he wasn't eligible for parole for 26 years. So he has, he's going to be in prison for like 20, 20, he, till 2029 at least. And then he'll be eligible for parole. And then Mark Hayden was sentenced to 25 years. Um, and he had to be, he had to serve at least 18 years before he was eligible for oh. parole. Um, if, I mean, it's just so weird because in the end they were all, they kind of got what was coming to him. So, um, I think I forgot to mention, but James Lasaki, he testified like to get a shorter sentence. Um, and I think also they kind of had gathered that he was guilty by association, but like, it didn't seem like, it seemed like he was heavily manipulated. Like he was very young and like. John Bunting was like a father figure to him and so I think they gave him I mean he still had to serve at least 26 years before he could be eligible for parole but in a way he got out of it pretty easily compared so, to Wagner We'll and see Bunting, it we'll see if so. prison rehabilitates him but um so this case Australia kind of, like, silenced a lot of it. There was a, um, like, a suppression order. Uh, there was actually 250 suppression orders revolving around this case that, like, basically prohibited the media from doing any, like, reporting on it, essentially. Yeah. Um, like, they couldn't say any, like, details. Um, like, they could kind of report on, like, the main gist of it. But um, in early 2011, all of the orders were lifted because they were making a movie called Snowtown. Um, this is, it's like a docu-drama-ish is what I would describe it as. Um, and... Like Monster, kind of, how it's, like, not real. Yes, like Monster about Arlene Warnos, yeah. Real. Um, and so after that, it just blew up. Um, Snowtown, like, weirdly, it became, like, a tourist destination, um there was all kinds of like weird like trinkets that places in snowtown were selling like to kind of cash in on the serial killer it's like i don't know i think people were just really shocked because there's not a lot of serial killers in australia it's not really like a, the u.s where it's like fairly common like there's not a lot that they know about serial killers and so um yeah, I mean, the town, like, tried to cash in on it, basically. So, um, I if I remember reading it correctly, they changed the name of the town. It's not called Snowtown anymore. I can't remember exactly what it's called now, but um, because it was so negatively affected by all of this bullshit. Yes. Um, but, yeah, that is the Snowtown murders case. Um, that's all I've got. Um, I know that was a lot. I say that's all. That's but all. That's all, huh? Uh, I know this was a long one, so hopefully you are not sick of hearing us talk. We'd love if you followed us on Instagram at Who What Where Podcast. We're also on Facebook and YouTube. Um, and you can get us anywhere you listen to podcasts. We uh are kind of I mean, we're looking forward to continuing at this podcast. So if you have any ideas or suggestions, send us a DM on instagram i think you can dm us on facebook um but yeah i i don't know we are very thankful for our little corner of 
the podcast world. But yeah, we'd love to hear what you thought about this case. So let us know on Instagram. We're going to post some relevant pictures over there. Um, I think Hannah already found some pretty juicy ones. So uh, yeah, we will see you guys on Monday. Thanks so much for listening. 